Cutforth, and this is the end of all things. As you can probably hear, I'm a bit ill today. It's the beginning of October, so I've contracted my yearly illness right on schedule. It's uh, it happens every year, but uh, so I'd apologize for sounding so froggy on the microphone. But I think it sounds kind of cool. I'd like a uh, Barry White. Can't get enough of your look. No, it doesn't. It didn't sound like that at all. So anyway, sorry about it sounding like this. I'm caning the Lemsip and the lockets. So I sound slightly better now than I did about an hour ago. But hey, life, man. Got to get on with it, don't you? No sign of Pam today, uh, despite the weather. Usually she's out here when it's just sunny doing stuff in the garden. Um, but I don't know. Maybe she's dead. No, she's not. She's not dead. She's not dead. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm delirious with illness. Don't listen to what I'm talking about. Uh, today I talked to Stephen McGay, who is a novelist and a singer in what I mistakenly call a death metal band called Calibra. But you've heard the music at the start of this podcast. That's him singing. That's, is that not death metal? I don't know. He, didn't, he says no. He says it's progressive metal. But I'll let you decide. And I suppose if you're a Calibra person listening to this, you would know better than me. So maybe it is. Um, it doesn't matter. Why? It doesn't matter. It's metal. And you know what it sounds like now? Go buy the CD. Why not? Unsurprisingly, we talk quite a lot about metal music because obviously he sings in a metal band and I'm actually quite a big fan of metal music. His taste, obviously. How many times have I said obviously now? That must be the fifth or sixth one. I won't say obviously anymore. His tastes tend to sway more to the hardcore side than mine. Uh, what By comparison, I I don't know if I listen to too much on that sort of hardcore side of the metal thing. I'm more a Metallica and ACDC guy, which would probably not surprise you at all because I'm over 40 from Southern Alberta and that's what my people listen to. And yes, I know if you're a metal dork, I know ACDC is not technically metal. But hey, it's, it's close enough, isn't it? This interview took place last summer and hasn't been put out in, on the podcast yet because, and I know I've mentioned this before, but I forgot to take the photo on the day and it's taken us this long to get back together again to take the photo that you have probably seen at the start of this, start of this podcast on my Twitter page. That, you know, the, the photo of me and him standing beside each other. You see that photo of him? When we 
just to give you an idea of how long ago this interview was recorded, he was clean shaven when we spoke. So, and now he's got that beautiful bushy beard. Um, obviously, with I just obviously again stop doing that with a beard like that. I had to insist on a photo in the northern quarter because, you know, that's the trendiest place and that's where trendy beard people hang out. Sorry, Stephen. I <laughs> I don't think he'll even... I, was that a joke even? I don't think he'll like that joke because I tell you, if there's one thing he's not, it's a hipster. As this was one of my earlier interviews, there are traces of a few of my old bad habits, which is quite annoying. I guess it was just traces of these old bad habits in, in most of my episodes, but specifically cutting the guest off when he's saying something quite interesting. Somewhere near to the start of this one, he talks about some insecurities he has about writing essays for a degree or an MA program and compares it to writing a novel. And, you know, rather than getting him to expand on it, I just kind of cut in and go, <laughs> so the horror genre... It's going to shit, isn't it? So yeah, listen out for that. There's also quite a harsh edit, you'll hear where it is, where I had to take out a bit where I mistakenly say that Dimebag Daryl played guitar in the band Slayer rather than Pantera. And usually I leave the mistakes in because they're funny and I don't mind people taking the piss because, you know, frankly, that's what I do and that's who I am. I don't do research and I make mistakes. I can't have people thinking I don't know metal. So I did take that out. Why am I telling you now? Because that's just ruined it. It doesn't matter. What I'm trying to say is, I did know that Dimebag Daryl would play guitar in Pantera and not Slayer. I don't know where my brain was on the day. You know, talking to a metal guy. And he was too polite to correct me as well. He was too polite to correct me on a number of things, uh, as you'll hear in the podcast. See if you can spot the mistakes I make, as usual. In addition to talking about metal... We have a really lovely chat about his super scary novel, Habit. And we talk about it being made into a film. So along with Emma Jane Unsworth, this will be the second chat I have with a novelist who's had their work developed for the silver screen. And like Emma, he's actually been asked to sit in on the process of making the film, which is an almost an unbearably exciting prospect. I can't, it's so amazing that I can't even imagine it ever happening to me. But he is so just chilled out and relaxed about the whole thing. He's just rolling with it. Yeah, yeah, it's being made into a film, you know, whatever. I have a feeling it would take quite a lot to unsettle or agitate Stephen, and you'll, you'll figure that out when you listen to this interview. He's probably one of the coolest characters I've had on the podcast. And uh, I did try to ruffle him as well. Once... Well, actually twice by calling his band death metal, doing it once already when he'd corrected me and told me he doesn't consider it death metal. And uh, again, by suggesting his book is horror, which so death metal and horror, two labels he is really not entirely crazy about, but he just kind of laughs them off and is uh, really chilled about the whole thing. Unflappable, this guy is, which I suppose maybe he should be a politician. Um, speaking of which... Do you know, I didn't even, this is not a scripted segue. I did that on the fly. Uh, I know I keep trying not to talk about politics in this podcast because, frankly, I need all the listeners I can get. But 
it's impossible not to at the moment. It's, I don't know, if, you, if you're listening to this from somewhere outside of the UK, you're probably focused in on everything that's happening with Donald Trump. I'm not even going to talk about that. In the UK, the Tories are... I, I wouldn't even say... I know this is overstating, and you're going to probably listen to this, and if you're a Tory, just... You can't be a Tory if you're listening to this. Uh, but if you are, sorry. But I don't think that things that came out in the Tory conference are far off of things that Donald Trump would have said. I knew Theresa May and Amber Rudd were going to be awful, but creating immigrant blacklists, that is some next-level xenophobic shit. What next? Gulags? Um, I also was really wound up about the whole Jeremy Corbyn thing. I don't understand all of these Labour people coming out to condemn him a second time before he's taking power. Did you not learn the first time that it's he's going to be there? He's there. Get used to it. I, I am surprised that people actually think that Labour has a shot at winning. No matter who the leader is, the Tories are winning the next election. That's just going to happen. I'm sorry. It's not my fault. I'm not voting for them. But loads of people will. And I genuinely think that with uh, Jeremy Corbyn at the helm, they'll lose by a slightly lower landslide than they would have done with Owen Smith at the helm. Do you really like Owen Smith? You'd really... People that... Would you have voted for him? Voted for... The man has the personality of a breadstick. Telling Nicola Sturgeon to fill her, her mouth full of gobstoppers to get her to stop talking. Yeah, talking women. Boy... What a pain in the ass, you know? Bloody women trying to say stuff. He is so gross. Why would you want Owen Smith? Ugh, and I've had three people tell me I look like him. Not that I look like him, that he looks like me. So I, I'm not I'm not really a big fan of these people who've said this. Um, would you have voted, you anti-Corbinites, would you have voted for Angela Eagle for party leader if she was, she was almost party leader. Woman who voted to go into Iraq, to go into Syria, voted for the austerity measures, and the tuition hikes. How is this woman even in the Labour Party? That's the person that you would vote over Jeremy Corbyn? Right. Having said that, right, I'm going to throw you anti-Corbynites a bone here because the man does not make it easy for himself, does he? Posing for photos, buying his wife some woolen garment in some tiny little thing on his holiday while the Tory party conferences going on where May and Rudd are basically laying out a path to fascism in front of us. Yes, I know people need a holiday. And yes, traditionally, the opposing party conferences are one of the few times Parliament is in session. But Jesus Christ, Corbyn, they've actually given a Brexit date, i.e. the beginning of the end. They're creating immigrant blacklists. She's unashamedly quoting Thatcher for fuck's sake. Holiday is over. Say something, you idiot. I don't know. The only thing I'm, I'm hoping for after this mess is that once the election is over and Corbyn is ousted, because, I mean, it's going to happen. I mean, aside from the fetal hope that the country's complete destruction won't happen in the meantime, which it could happen, is at the very, very least that his presence will pull labor at least a little bit back to the left where it fucking belongs. And then, I mean, obviously, 
we all know David Miliband's going to come back and save us all. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> I don't know why I was doing that. Get a little sip of lem sip here. Right, politics over. Sorry about that. Uh, in this interview with Stephen, you'll hear some lovely, creepy background noises, uh, like echoey voices that are far away and, and rattling chains and shutter doors slamming shut. You'll hear some sirens. I was going to tell you where this was recorded, actually, but I think it's more fun letting you wonder. Maybe we're in some dungeon. It's, uh, I think it's the perfect place, now that I've heard the uh, interview back, for interviewing a horror-writing metalhead. Maybe I should have released this near Halloween. That was probably a good idea. Too late now, Robert. Why do I only think of these things as I'm recording the friggin' thing? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's out now. Enjoy it. Pretend it's Halloween. There's probably going to be another podcast between now and Halloween, but this is my Halloween one, the start of October. I'm not even sure if Stephen would like that because he's doesn't like to be called a horror. I am really not going to keep talking. I'm going to edit this shit out. As I mentioned in the last podcast episode, I hosted my very first literary gig last weekend. I hosted the Trapeze New Voices Slush Pile Live Day at Waterstones Deansgate, which was exciting and vomit-inducing in equal measure. Really didn't get a lot of sleep the night before that. Boy, meeting members of the general public. I was so worried that no one would come. I was so worried that I actually made no provisions for a packed house, which is exactly what happened. I had one job to keep people to time, and I just thought, ah, not many people will come to this thing, so I'm not going to decide how to do it or take a count or anything. And it's rammed, so of course it ran massively late. So I failed in my one job, but... They seemed to think it was okay anyway, and I was, you know, I didn't panic, I didn't faint. I heard some lovely pitches, and I made a hundred pounds. Boom. Money for writers, man. Gotta take it when you can get it. Uh, but yeah, thank you, Trapeze and Orion people. Sam Eads especially, that was great. And uh, she said really nice things about my... Performance. I guess performance. Isn't it? I'm a performer? No. Host. But anyway, uh, enough about me. I know you love to listen to me yammer on about my ultra-glamorous writing life. <laughs> but uh, here is the lovely Stephen McGay. Listen. I can't remember a podcast that I listen to, to be honest. I should, I, I should do, because I spend all my, my entire days at work just listening to the same records over and over again. Yeah. So maybe I should branch out. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've stopped almost listening to music, not entirely, but uh, it's gone way down just because I'm so into... Well, I think when you get older as well, it's like, I want to hear about things people want to talk about rather than music. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's different for you because, you know, you're in a band and such. Yeah, but... Uh, I don't know. It's exciting when you do... I, I don't think that you find as much new music the older you get. You get really, like, hardened to everything. Yeah. 
and it's like, oh, that doesn't sound like... That thing I used to like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I don't really like anymore, but I just listen to it because it's comfortable. Yeah. 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 Um, do you want to start... Well, Habit came out in 2012. Mm-hmm. I think what, what, the best thing to start is to talk a bit about that. When did you write Habit and why and how's it doing? Uh, it started as... Uh, and creative writing stuff started on my degree from postgrad um, at MMU, mm-hmm. um, and I hated every second of that except for the the creative writing modules that I did in second and third year. Mm. Ended up doing a creative writing dissertation, which is basically just a short story. Great because you just write and you don't have to have any sources or anything, <laughs> <laughs> and got a good mark. Um, it was encouraged by uh, a couple of tutors to think about the MA. Thought about it for a while. So between graduating in 2004, came back to do an MA like nine years later, mm-hmm. <laughs> or something Gosh. along those lines. Um, having worked loads of shitty jobs and just written a bit in spare time, had some short stories published, but never committed anything any time to it. Mm-hmm. Um, then just one day decided to get a, take a bank loan out and go and do an MA. Mm. And so you say you didn't like it? I didn't. No, I loved the MA. I just didn't enjoy my my degree. Um, oh, right. what was your degree in? English. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, it's all. Yeah, yeah. it's not there's actually a, writing. It's n- no. It, and there was a lot of uh, there's a lot of good modules, but there was a lot of things that I that I hated and. I don't really, I don't enjoy essay writing. Mm. Um, I don't think that um, I have any uh, new ideas when it comes to theory and mm-hmm. stuff like that. A lot of people can be confident in their own. Some people are more confident in their own ability theory-wise, but I'd rather just make things up. I'm going to ask you the boring horror question that I'm sure you've heard before, and it's the one that when I ask people... Uh, I've asked it a few times. Um, do you think horror is, for lack of a better word, dying on its ass? <laughs> do you think it's going down? Do you think it's getting less popular? Um, I don't know. Uh, horror, like... I was really hoping for an, you to go, fuck you, and get really upset. No, I just think as a as a... As a really specific... I think any sort of genre, they're, they're all seem to blur at the moment mm. like I think things get more and more entwined um, I think you can find horror in, in everything yeah. that's, that's the beauty of it you can find horror in, in detective fiction in high fantasy in sci-fi and, um, you can have literary horror novels now um, do you think that's same. why it's kind of like as, a, as its own kind of standalone genre is it's probably not as you know. It's probably not its own standalone genre anymore. It because it's. I think because it's because maybe the world is getting so shit that it, horror is finding its way into all genres. Yeah, I think you can find. Yeah, definitely can find. Definitely find awful things in the most mundane mm. stuff. Um, but I think I. I don't know. There was. There must still be a need for like really uh, nerdy horror. Like, there is still a need for really nerdy, high-fantasy mm-hmm. work. Um, 
there's still a market, still readership. Mm-hmm. Um, do you would you classify yourself as a horror writer then, um, or do you t- kind of take that as a? I'd rather people be horrified by it, but not not be not think of it as a horror novel. Yeah. I don't know. I think I think there's enough. Uh, the world itself is just some horrible things that happen yeah. every day, and you just re- it's nice to it's nice to if you write them down, then I suppose it forces people to to read them mm-hmm. um, and and contemplate them a bit more mm-hmm. rather than just let them wash over. And plus, uh, horror is always horror, and ex- the extremity of horror is always good for like highlighting nice things as well. Mm-hmm. You can. Get a balance. Yeah. How do you scare people when, you know, real life is scarier than anything that anyone can think yeah, of? Yeah, yeah. No one's. Uh, who who would be scared of a werewolf now when, <laughs> you know, you might. When you've got Nigel Farage. Nigel Farage is, is just one. Mm-hmm. He might, he <laughs> might be a One of thousands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Who knows what's around the next corner and yeah. politically or. You know, just in people's everyday lives, it's not. I think a lot of people probably go day to day thinking, just waiting for the time they're going to get caught up in a terrorist attack or mm-hmm. when they're going to, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it's just I'll, there's there's scarier things than uh, than fantasy horror. Yeah. Stuff, definitely. So would you? Um which is your next book going to be sort of that sort of thing or are you writing now or uh, yeah, I'm trying to still been trying to write the same novel for since I finished habit mm-hmm. just not going anywhere yet still and <laughs> <laughs> um, just fighting with it but again mm. I just want it to be the same thing I, I like writing about people or I like writing about relationships and I like element the element of horror to be used for to highlight those things rather than mm-hmm. to be the the main rather than to be the center of the mm-hmm. The plot. It seems a very Manchester book as well. Yeah, it's all set, all set in and around Manchester. Yeah. The city centre itself is, the you know, a character almost. Mm-hmm. I, I like, I love Manchester. I love the build, the the, the jigsaw that is Manchester, um, and the, the the sort of the proximity of money and mm-hmm. and, and lack of money. I, mm. I just think it's brilliant. I just I love it as a city. Mm-hmm. I'm biased, obviously. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I've got Scouse parents, so I like Liverpool as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's allowed, especially on this podcast. I don't yeah, really, yeah, yeah. I don't really understand the whole these people that live very close to me. Therefore, I should hate them. Thing, yeah. the whole like football derby thing. I just don't understand at all. I understand that a bit because I was brought up an Evertonian by my dad, and I still have. have cause, season ticket there at Goodison in the same seats for the last 15, 16 years. Mm. So, uh, yeah. So you actually hate Liverpool? I haven't, I haven't got any love for Liverpool Football <laughs> Club, but but Liverpool as a city is is tremendous. Mm. Um, it just happens that I live in Manchester and I know Manchester better mm-hmm. than I know Liverpool, but it could easily have been set in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. It's not. Um, it's just that, that north-west city vibe that, that I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it about that, the northwest? Like what is the vibe? Can you just the the grim? The, mm-hmm. There's like a grim humour to it all. I think um, you know nothing's nothing's too much trouble for people. But at the same time, if you 
if you ask for t- if you ask for too much, then you probably get your head kicked in. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> See, I hate that bit. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I like the safe bit of Manchester. Um, well, uh, having said that, your book takes place in the northern quarter. There's a lot in the northern quarter. There's some in South Manchester as well, where I grew up. Which and, bit? Um, well, there's a mixture across, like Old Trafford and Sale. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, mainly in um, it's mainly in the city centre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I live in Urmston. Oh yeah. And my fam, my wife and her family are all from Stratford. Okay. So I was hoping you'd say Stratford. Well, like Old Trafford is close. Close enough, enough to isn't Stratford. It? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Right, okay, so you write horror. Well, the first novel's horror anyway. And you sing, and I was going to say death metal. Would you call it death metal? I think the rest of the band would argue that it's progressive metal, whatever that is. Okay. See, when I hear progressive death metal, metal, I think Rush. Yeah, yeah. A I, a you're not people, Rush. <laughs> no, definitely not Rush. There's mm. no Tom Sawyer no. going on. But See, I'm, I, I'm just a bit impressed that you even know who they are, because... Being Canadian, I automatically think anybody who knows anything about any Canadian band, no matter how terrible, <laughs> is okay in my book. <laughs> no, yeah, but because I, I, I think you sound a bit like and, uh, this is again. Feel free to punch me in the head, but <laughs> it's a bit slipknotty, isn't it? That's all right. I, I found out, I realized last week that the debut Slipknot album was seventeen years old last week. Mm. Um, and I can still remember the first time I listened to it and absolutely shit in my pants and just thinking it was the best thing I'd ever mm-hmm. heard. And just, and it doesn't surprise me Yeah, when still... I listen to that single that you sent me, the one that's at the beginning of this podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. They're, um, they're stand- and they're still doing it now, you know, mm. two men down. and No bands have longevity like that anymore, let alone like extreme extreme music not so extreme anymore obviously because they've mm-hmm. popped up a bit but you know no sort of band commands that kind of following or that that sort of uh, has that sort of lifespan anymore I think mm-hmm. it's commendable whether you like the music or not whether you're into that genre or not mm-hmm. um, but yeah I'd, I'd say that the biggest influences on the band are people like for me anyway it's uh, vocally I, I love stuff like Lamb of God mm-hmm. um, or uh, Good old cradle filth. Good old cradle filth. Cradle. I'll pretend I know who they are. <laughs> cradle of cradle of filth. Yeah, you look them mm-hmm. up. British, mm-hmm. um, ex- sort of uh, really theatrical, extreme black metal. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to work when I was in Nottingham. I worked at a web design company that was uh, above Earache Records. Oh yeah, uh, you know Earache Records. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we'd hear some, here's, and we'd go down and see them every now and again, and I think. If I'm not mistaken, I, I think if this is right, they had a band called Anal Cunt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've heard of Anal Cunt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so many good band names in, yeah. in, in extreme music. Like mm. I heard, a, I heard one called Fuck Shovel the other day. That was yeah. a great name. What does Calibra mean? Nothing. Nothing. What does Metallica mean? Yeah, Nothing. it means metallic metal and Ica. Yeah. Does it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You'll have to ask Tom, our lead See, guitarist. He came up with the name. He just wanted, he wanted an easy name that doesn't didn't mean anything. Yeah. But if you Google it, I think there is like a. Um, it, there is some 
association with an island somewhere in the South Pacific that's got a lot of snakes in it. Right. Maybe. But it's not called <laughs> Calibra. Yeah. But there's some sort of link. And there's also like a Polish jewellery company. Oh, right. It's got a similar name. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, I'm glad you mentioned Metallica mm-hmm. because this is my favourite metal band mm-hmm. and it's the one that most metal people hate. How, You're can't... probably not a Metallica fan. I, I listen to your music. I think he's not going to like Metallica. I don't know how you can not, how people can't like Metallica. I don't like, either. The, the Metallica are just insanely, insanely good. Yeah. Um, you know, paved the way for so many things. I, mm. I wouldn't, I would never say that I'm a biggest fan, like the biggest fan of theirs. Um, but I've seen them live. I've listened to a lot of the records. I understand the importance of them. Mm-hmm. In terms of everything that I that I do like, mm-hmm. and how can you not like nod your head to Metallica? It's, it's impossible. F- it's fucking groovy, man. It's heavy. It's like great vocals. Mm. Um, I can understand people don't get on board with some of the other, some of the other big four, like people like Slayer and um, and stuff, because it's a bit. Harder to mm. to enjoy Slayer, I think. I don't I think enjoy Slayer. I, I, I think Slayer is easier to enjoy than Megadeth. Yeah, Megadeth's impossible to enjoy. Yeah. it's dog shit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for me. See, anyway. I knew I'd like you. <laughs> Metallica. One of my when I saw them in Manchester, it was the fourth time I'd seen them, and uh, they hadn't been here for sixteen years or something. And a guy beside me was like beside himself with excitement. And uh, he said, oh, you've seen them? You saw them on the Black Tour, which the Black Album Tour. And I was like, yeah, that was the, my least favorite album of the, all of them. But anyway, and he said, uh, oh, um, what, what, what do I expect? And I said, there's going to be, you're going to see some serious fire. There's going to be pyrotechnics like <laughs> yeah. you've never seen before in your life. And the guy goes, well, see, you're showing your ignorance because this is health and safety Britain. <laughs> we don't do fire on, on uh, stage anymore. And it was literally two seconds after he said that. That virtually the entire stage was alight. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was when they were playing in the round. It's, I, I could talk about Metallica. I bet that was long. insane. I yeah. saw them at a festival. I saw them at Sonisphere when they played as a part of the big... They did the big four year. So they had yeah. Metallica, Anthrax, Slayer and Megadeth yeah. all on the same stage at the same festival. Yeah. And they just wiped the floor with everyone. I yeah. thought they were great. Yeah. Really, really, really good. Um, Anthrax are... I have a very I have a soft spot for them. Yeah, probably after Metallica, maybe. Yeah. But if Slayer didn't have such bad vocals, I mm. could like I could. In, if Slayer was yeah. in, were an instrumental band, I well, could get on board. What? Okay, so you write uh, a genre fiction that is probably the most underground literary genre fiction at the moment. You sing in a band in one of the most underground music scenes. Are you allergic to money? Um, <laughs> maybe, because it is, never seems to come my way. Um, but uh, The only reason I, I ask that is because I always ask people about cash. That's one of the things about this podcast, because especially in writing, nobody has any. Uh, so anybody that has any shot at getting any, um, I always say, how do you get that? Um, so, I guess the question is, why don't you do something more accessible? Um, That's a hard I think question. That I, I don't think I'll be very good at selling myself, to be mm. honest. Like, I got lucky with Habit mm-hmm. um, 
Do you really think that is it's luck? Um, well, uh, I uh, not luck. It's not luck. Like mm. it's not just potluck. But you, people, the right people need to read it and enjoy it because I remember in the really early stages of Habit when I was still trying to find my feet and and the voice of the main character. Somebody who I did res- whose opinion I respected quite a lot read it and told me that I, I should turn it into a comedy. Um, so I, 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 it really depends on who you get to read it because that mm-hmm. was I just completely discounted that because it was absolute shite. Well, maybe he said um, that because to spur you on to because uh, that that would really focus. I think <laughs> when someone gives you a, an idea as bad as that, mm, I just didn't I just didn't see where it was coming from. And it, oh yeah, it probably did focus me because I, I must have thought. What am I doing? Floundering around. The other thing about your novel is that it's kind of a stream of consciousness. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, yeah, to to an extent, yeah, definitely. Yeah, which I usually when I read that sort of thing, I I just I think oh, it's so pretentious. And but with yours, I think it works quite well because the main character you need to be really close to him. Uh, and like I said, I when you get to a bit that's really horrible, it's only if you're really close to the main character that that kind of hurts you. Mm. Yeah, I think um, the character itself, the character himself, Michael, the lead character, is not a not a particularly expressive person, um, outwardly expressive. So, if I tried to write it in any other way, then it would have been really boring. Mm. Um, I'm really forced to try and help let the reader understand how he was, you know acting and how he was feeling and thinking it would have been impossible so it's it was always it was never even an option to write any, any other way that was always the I always knew I wanted to centre it on one person and have that have him as like the anchor in the story I think the most exciting thing about your book at the moment anyway is that it's being made into a film um, how did that happen and what's it like being involved? Because usually when you hear about a film being made about it from a book, the last person they want to talk to is the author. Um, but it seems like if you're kind of involved in it as well, aren't you? Yeah, the, the, the production company um, called Not a, Num- Not a Number, they, Rachel, um, the executive producer, and Simeon, the director got in touch with me through Facebook about three and a half years ago saying that they'd read the novel and enjoyed it and wanted to talk about optioning it um, for a film. So obviously I just thought, yeah, all right. <laughs> sure. Yeah, okay, let's, we'll, we'll, we'll meet. They, they suggested, well, where do you want to meet? So I suggested an expensive bar in Charlton and didn't bring my wallet with me <laughs> and then just got some drinks and like chatted shit about the story and stuff mm-hmm. and then but then that that was the starting point and then they just never went away so mm. um we me and sim talked about the story um i had a little bit of input in the very first draft of the the screenplay but it's really it is it sims the form that it's in now i just tried to look at the bits of the dialogue and stuff for him 
um, and they invited me to some castings, um, asked me for my opinion on sets, but but very kind of they didn't expect they didn't expect a lot of of me. They just offered me that opportunity, which I thought was amazing. Really, I couldn't have gone any better. Um, must be kind of the, the um, is it an independent film company? I'm assuming. Yeah, there yeah. was. Um, so there's a lot of independent finance they had to raise, and um, there were a couple of knockbacks. Creative England didn't fancy it. Um, so when it did come together, it just kind of all happened at once. Mm-hmm. Really, there was. A, I remember getting a text message from Rachel one morning saying the film had been greenlit. We start shooting on 1st of May, I think, Mm -hmm. which was in, like, two weeks' time. Um, And did I want to come to the set at some point? Did I want to be an extra, which I I ended up doing? Mm -hmm. Um, What did you play? Just some dude in a a hospital waiting room Mm -hmm. in a sling. (laughs) (laughs) It's That was great but it's really boring i'd hate mm. to work in that industry it's so boring yeah just standing around all the time shouting <laughs> everyone's shouting at each other mm. so where was it shot then uh, mostly in around manchester all the internal stuff was done at media city mm-hmm. uh, in a place called the pie factory mm-hmm. um then loads of external shooting and night shoots uh in and around northern quarter uh stepping hill hospital was used Wow, um, how did they manage that? They... Because hospitals don't close. Yeah, they, they didn't. We, there was patients coming in and out throughout the filming, uh, but they used... They did it at a weekend and used the maternity entrance, so it was probably... It was maybe the quietest reception mm-hmm. over the weekend, so there were still people coming in and out, like pregnant woman arriving in an ambulance at, like, halfway through the day, getting rushed in, but it was fine. So they're following them with a um, a form to fill in, oh, would you mind being in the film, <laughs> as she's having the child, probably. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. yeah. They, they must have done. For while she's yeah. high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so where is it now, then? Where Whereabouts are you in It's in filming? post-production wow. now. So it's filmed, they, they worked stupidly hard on it. It was a... Four week shoot, six days a week, like 13, 14 mm-hmm. hour days, um, maybe longer. Um, and yes, yeah, in the can or whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever listen to you with all your yeah, uh, all movie, my, uh, movie lingo. terminology. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was crazy. I remember going to sets and seeing, uh, you know, it, it just being real all of a sudden, looking at the the stuff that they'd built and looking at everything that was in place the, even small things like the catering and the trailers for people to sit in and it was mental really weird to think that that started inside your head at one point yeah must be bizarre it is crazy I it's still, a problem I'd like to have one day I, I, I still don't think that it's it registered it's, it's really sunk in and I think until I see it you know in some sort of what if you screen. hate it? What if you hate it? If I hate it, I hate it. I can't see it though because Sim understands the the novel. Um, Rachel understood the novel. Mm-hmm. The actors involved 
definitely understood it. You know, talked to a few of them about it. Um, understood the characters. It's going to be. It will be different. It, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I know it will be different. But I, I don't think, as a writer, you can be precious about. You know, somebody wanting to take your idea and and use it for in another way. Mm-hmm. Like you should just be happy, even if they turn into a fucking opera. I won't care. I won't care. <laughs> it's just it's just flattering that someone thinks that it's worth their time. Mm-hmm. And I think especially when you start seeing like this shit happening, um, did did you kind of at first think, oh right, this is going to be this nice little movie? And then it wasn't until you, you know, you're in Stepping Hill Hospital and realize that, yeah. you know, the trailers and the sets and the lights and everything. That I think the, one of the things are going sick. Yeah, one of the big, one of the biggest moments for me was Penny Dreadful, this Sky Atlantic series. I don't know if you've ever seen mm-hmm. it. I've heard of it. Timothy Dalton and Eva Green and um, Josh Hartnett, all these mm-hmm. massive names and you know, massive budget. Um, American HBO series, I think it is. Um, and we inhabit are lucky enough to have uh, an, act, an actor called Jess Barden, who is in the third series of Penny Dreadful that's just finishing at the moment now, I think, on Sky Atlantic. Gosh. Um, and I've been a massive fan of that series from day one. And just to walk onto set and see her and meet her and hang out and her to ask me about the book and ask for a copy of the book and then to go home and watch Penny Dreadful and just think, fucking hell, man. It's like, <laughs> well, cool. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. When does it come out? Um, or when do you get to see the finished work? Is it? I do don't you know. know. There'll probably, right. probably be a rough... I would imagine there's going to be a rough cut available sometime soon. I need to get mm-hmm. in touch with, or just drop the guys and he drops him in an email and just see where he's up to because I know he's spending all of his time at the moment in like a dark room somewhere in Media mm-hmm. City, just staring at monitors. Um, so imagine there'll be a rough cut at some point, and they were hoping to, hoping to for it to be ready by in the first couple of months of next year. Mm. Um, and then I don't know. I don't really know the process from then whether they need to whether they take it to some festivals and mm-hmm. find distributors and stuff like that. I don't. Yeah. I don't know how the industry works, but I know that there'll be some sort of version to watch mm-hmm. fairly soon. Hopefully. So after this happens, this movie comes out and it goes massive. You're just mm-hmm. going to be intolerable. You'll be this like real kind of movie guy now. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'd, mm. I, I I think now. I'll tell you what it has done though. It's given me a bit of. Um, it, it's given me some screenwriting skills that I didn't have before. Mm-hmm. Like Sim showed me a lot of, um, you know how how to format things, which is, you know, it's difficult all that stuff. And mm-hmm. it did make me think. There's a lot of novels that I've read like over the years, and I thought, oh, I'd love to see that as a movie. And then mm-hmm. like now, why couldn't I maybe? Start, I, I could try and adapt one, maybe. Mm. I don't know. I well, don't seem to be getting anywhere with my own ideas. So. <laughs> <laughs> could just fudge other people's into screenplays. Yeah. Well, screenplays, you know, if you write a novel, you'll have like a page and a half of description of something. And then the screenplay is like interior, bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. Night. Yeah. <laughs> mm. 
What, um, I can't remember if I asked you this yet or not. I think I did. Are you, so you're writing something else now? Uh, yeah, this, it's, an, it's an idea that's been hanging around for ages. Did I, did I press you on it? No, I didn't. What I is think it? I think I went off on one. Tell me what it is. Um, set in, it will be set in, in and around Salford, specifically, like, the Keys area. Mm-hmm. Oh, because you're obsessed now. You're a movie man. Well, Sorry, I didn't. No, <laughs> no <I'm joking. laughs> this is. Um, I, I'm talking. Hopefully, I'd like to set it before this whole regeneration um, period, mm-hmm. um, or during, as it's just beginning. I like the idea of that. I like the idea of that area being untouched for so long for a reason, uh, and then. This uh, the redevelopment and the like mm-hmm. gentrification of Salford yeah. just maybe wakes something up that shouldn't have been. Mm. Yeah, that but sounds I, interesting. I still, I, it's still all up in the air. I yeah. don't really know. I um, I don't know what Salford Keys was like before, but I can tell you one thing: it wasn't as bad as the Lowry Outlet Mall. Mm. <laughs> that's awful that place I mm. worked I worked there for a while oh god the only saving grace of it is there's a Dickies outlet yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so just in there and then out again <laughs> mm-hmm. I think for me there was a shoe shop in there um, and I can't remember what it was then I was like yeah I guess there's some point to going there get my parking validated yeah. that's also quite good there's a nice there's a nice uh, cinema in there though. Mm. that's alright yeah it's what, never busy. Yeah. <laughs> I saw Star Wars in there. They've got, like, leather seats. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. What, um, so the book takes place in Silver Keys. Have you got any kind of story for it at all? Just little bits and pieces. Um, it's hard to... I don't really want to go into... I, it's hard to go into Tell me of detail. It. I Tell me everything. I can't, because <laughs> it's not there. <laughs> right, okay. But, yeah, just to do with... Um, I enjoy relationships between people the most. Mm. Um, inhabit the siblings. Um, in this new one, uh, I'd maybe look to trying to look at relationships between couples potentially, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, like I said, the impact of of the impact of regeneration and and upheaval in an area where. Um, nothing had moved for a long time and, and what what that means to the, people, the people who were there previously um, mm. and what, what so do you think good things or bad things um, or both the people that live there do you think that regeneration of software keys has been a bad thing how can you think it's a bad thing I don't know because it's uh, it's almost it, it's not there it's not there uh, They've not been included. Yeah, it's not their lives that are being regenerated. It's mm. every it's regeneration uh, around them while they're swept under, mm. underneath it. Um, I think maybe some sort of kickback against that, or um, mm. I don't know. I like I, I think water's scary as well. I'd like to. I've got an idea about something in the water. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's maybe another thing something woken in the water mm-hmm. by all this building work mm. maybe mm. very interesting it would be really cool is if um, your next book comes out and it has nothing to do with what, you, what you've just said yeah and then this could be used as some sort of blackmail <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so that's it 
Easy, right? Um, thank you very much for coming on. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. And um, everyone, uh, enjoy Calibra. Because if I don't say that, the band will be pissed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did mention it. I was saying, yeah. 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 <laughs> Was that a bit too much metal talk for a literature podcast? I think we may have gotten carried away a bit. Did you hear the two massively abrupt edits? I'm usually so smooth, you don't even notice that there's edits, right? I know there'll be a couple people listening who'll be pissed off about the edits. We don't like it when you take out your fuck-ups, Rob. Well, I'm sorry, I cannot have the world think that I don't know Dimebag Daryl was in Slayer. Pantera! That is really embarrassing. I know I've kind of spilled the beans now, but I don't think anyone listens to this part. Not People skip right to the interview. Anyway, don't they? You know what? I had some other things I was going to talk about in the intro, but I just got a message this second from podcast friend Kate Feld. And I don't like to mention her in every single podcast, but she just messaged me a photo right now of my book on someone's shelf, not Oxfam. You know, a person that doesn't even know me, a person that didn't go to the book launch, apparently he's an academic as well. He had my book for some sort of academic reasons. He must have seen the title and bought it accidentally, thinking it was about the actual Industrial Revolution, but never mind. The title's Industrial Revolution, in case you're wondering why you'd make that mistake. But anyway, yeah, and also, don't try to Google it and buy it, because it's not available anymore. It's out of print, thankfully. And I am writing a book now for my MA. I don't know if I've even talked... Have I even spoken about this on the podcast? If I have, just, you know, just stop it now. Who cares? But I'm writing a book now that's taking the story from Industrial Revolution. So it's that book that I wrote years ago. I've been writing the same book for ten bloody years. Taking a small chunk of what's in that one and recreating the story based on advice I've gotten from agents and publishers and the MA lecturers. Um, It was actually quite close to getting published properly, but I am going to change it and hopefully it will be. I'm starting my writing up year in the MA, so I've got to do that while I'm doing the podcast and all these interviews, so I'm going to be a busy boy for the next year or so. Next week, I am interviewing the amazing book blogger, and actually, the man who got me that trape- trapeze, new voices slash pile live gig, Simon Savage. You've probably heard of him or seen his book videos. Uh, he's very funny and he's very good at describing books. And I'm going to talk to him about what books people should read. I'm going to try to get him to tell me some books people shouldn't read. And I might even feed him some Malibu so we might get some dirt on some famous writer people because he has quite a lot of connections. Like I said, he got me that job. And then uh, that will probably be the intro to the interview with Garth Greenwell, who I talk to next week. And then I also talk to Nikesh Shukla, who is who edited probably one of my favorite books of essays ever, The Good Immigrant. So yeah, amazing podcasty stuff ahead. Listen out for that. But that's it for now. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. <laughs>